You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Relationships are difficult. All relationships. Family, friends, spouse, parents, children, co-workers, neighbors. Every relationship you have is difficult. In fact, you might say relationships are downright messy. Sometimes it can be hard to be in relationship with people. One time I had a neighbor who had a dog that would use the bathroom on my porch. The first time it happened, I didn't think too much of it. I cleaned it up, put some bleach down. I thought this will never happen again. But it happened again, and again, and again. And eventually, I had to go talk to the neighbor. I'd knock on their door. I let them know, hey, I don't know if you know this, but your dog is doing this, and this can't continue. We need to figure out a solution. And they proceeded to tell me why it wasn't a big deal and why they weren't going to take any responsibility for their pet. And as you can imagine, I was frustrated and angry, and I let resentment build up. You know, resentment, that feeling of bitterness and indignation when you know you've been wronged and you've been mistreated. And and I just let that resentment build. I held a grudge against these people. When their car would drive into the neighborhood, I just would get angry and frustrated. When I saw them walking down the sidewalk, I would just, you know, turn the other way. And I avoided them at all costs because I was frustrated and I was angry and I was bitter toward them. We've been going through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is often called the love chapter. And one of the things we've seen about the kind of love that Christ followers are supposed to have is that it's not always going to be easy. In fact, it's oftentimes quite difficult. Listen to how love is described in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. This is the verse that's kind of been our core verse through this series. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Every relationship you ever have at some point is going to be difficult. Maybe you have a coworker who's taking credit for your work or a child that's not learning the lessons that you expect them to learn and they keep making the same mistakes over and again. Maybe you have a a parent who mistreated you when you were young and and there's a lot of baggage that's come from that. Maybe you have a spouse or a friend who broke your confidence and, and you don't trust them anymore. And when we read things like love endures through every circumstance, that's a nice idea, but it's a difficult thing to live out. Maybe if you were married, you said some words like for better or for worse. And, you know, when you're standing in front of your friends and your in-laws and your your neighbors and a a preacher or whatever, it might be easy for you to say, I'm going to love this person for better or worse. But it's difficult on a daily basis to get up and to spend life and to share a home and to develop a future together with someone through every circumstance, but love endures. And in order for love to endure through every circumstance, it's going to require us as followers of Jesus to offer forgiveness. And forgiveness is one of the most difficult and complicated things about being in relationships. One of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, asked Jesus about forgiveness. And he comes up to him in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, and he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? See, Peter's trying to get a number. He wants to know, what's my obligation as a follower of Jesus? How often should I offer forgiveness to the person who's wronged me time and time again? 
And seven seemed probably like a good number to Peter. It was a number of completeness. It's a full number. It's, it's a lot. You know, if someone does the same thing to you seven times, you're probably pretty tired and pretty frustrated with that person and with that situation. And in fact, Jewish law taught that you could forgive someone up to three times beyond that was unnecessary. The law could not hold you to forgiving them more than that. So when Peter says to Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? He's being pretty generous. I think he expected Jesus to look at him and be like, man, Peter, you get it, man. You just... You are exactly the kind of follower I want because you're going above and beyond. You know, everyone else would be content with three times, but no, Peter forgives seven times. He probably wanted the recognition for how awesome he is. But instead, this is what Jesus says to him in verse 22. I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Whoa, 70 times seven for all practical purposes. Jesus is asking Peter to choose forgiveness at an unattainable rate, an amount that is like so hard to keep track of. I don't think that Jesus is telling Peter to walk around with pen and paper and make tally marks every time Frank does something wrong to him. No. In fact, he's giving us such a huge number to show us that there really are no limits to the amount of times that we should show forgiveness. I like to paraphrase Jesus' words here by saying, forgive until you lose count. Peter said, uh, Paul said something very similar about forgiveness and love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, love keeps no records of being wronged. In other words, if you're practicing the kind of love that's really a God-honoring love, a Jesus-following love, the kind of love that Christians are supposed to be living out, then you're not keeping track of how often you've been wronged. You're not keeping track of how often you've had to forgive the same person for the same thing. Instead, you're forgiving till you lose count. There's no way to keep track of it because love keeps no record of being wrong. So when you talk about having a love that endures all circumstances, it's a love that practices that kind of forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus goes on to tell a story. It's a story about uh, the kingdom of heaven, but it says that the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who comes to settle debts with his servants. And one of his servants owes this huge amount of money, this amount of money that he could never pay back. And the king decides that for him to pay off this debt, his life and his family's lives and all of his property are going to be taken. He's going to be sold into slavery to pay off the debt. And instead, he falls at his knees and begs for the king's forgiveness. And the king has pity on him and says, you know what? You're right. I'm going to let you go. This one's on me. And he releases him of the debt. He doesn't hold him to that debt any longer. And you would think that the first thing the servant would do is he would go home and he would tell his wife and kids. He would throw a party. He would celebrate the fact that he no longer owed this extreme debt to his king. But instead, on the way home, he sees another servant who owes him a smaller amount of money, a much smaller amount of money. And he says, hey, you need to pay me what you owe me. And the servant does the same thing that he did to the king before, and he falls at his feet and he begs for forgiveness. Please, I will pay you back. Just give me more time. And instead, the servant who was forgiven this huge debt, he takes his fellow servant and has him thrown in jail until he could pay the debt. Well, when everyone starts to hear about this, word gets back to the king, and the king calls him in. He's like, I can't believe you did this. You wicked servant, I forgave your debt. You should have done the same thing. 
See, following Jesus requires us to acknowledge the fact that God has offered us more forgiveness than we could ever offer to anyone else who's ever wronged us. It doesn't matter what they've wronged us in, whether that be your coworker, your friend, your spouse, your neighbor, um, whoever it is, the wrongs that they've done against you pale in comparison to the, the volume of wrong and the quantity and the quality of wrong that you've committed, that God has said, you know what, I'm not holding that against you. So for you to hold on to those wrongs that are being done to you, for you to keep a tally and a track mark of those things, not only is it not going to allow you to love in the way that we're called to in 1 Corinthians 13, but really it's a rejection of the kind of love that God has offered you because you said that's good enough for you, but it's not good enough for you to live out. See, forgiveness and love are inseparable. And so I want you to think for a moment, like how would choosing forgiveness over resentment, over holding a grudge, how would choosing forgiveness change your relationships? Because I believe that when we begin to forgive and practice the kind of love that 1 Corinthians 13 calls us to, that our love in those circumstances and our ability to forgive will actually endure through all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of circumstances. There's some next steps that some of us need to take. Some of us have committed wrongs against friend, family member, spouse, child, parent, coworker, and the thing that we need to do right now is we need to take some time to seek God's forgiveness, but also to seek out the forgiveness of the person we've wronged. And so maybe for you, the next step that you need to take right now is to, to pray about and then seek out forgiveness from the person that you've broken trust with, that you've done wrong to, that you have hurt and injured with your choices and with your words. Maybe for some of us, the thing we need to do is we need to think of a broken relationship that we have that someone else has wronged us. And maybe we've got some resentment that's built up. We've held a grudge against them and we've not forgiven them. And the thing that we need to choose right now is we need to choose that we're going to forgive them in the same way that God has forgiven us. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to allow them to hurt us, that we're going to put ourselves in a position to be injured. It doesn't even necessarily mean that we're going to forget the wrong that they've done. But instead, we're going to choose, even in mindfulness of what they've done, we're going to choose to not hold on to that, that we're going to release it, that we're going to trust God to handle that situation. Because we need to be people who choose forgiveness over resentment. Maybe for some of us, the next step that we need to take is being a peacemaker. Jesus told us that blessed are the peacemakers because they're children of God. In other words, we are most like our Father in heaven when we are bringing peace into the world. Maybe you were given a position or a talent or an opportunity to make peace between people who are struggling with offering forgiveness and holding on to resentment. So maybe the thing for you to do is to pray about what it looks like for you to be a peacemaker in your family, between your friends, in your workplace, in our community, because we need to be people of peace, because that's what God has called us to be. And when we seek peace, when we offer forgiveness, all we're really doing is following God's lead. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 10 say this, Whoever does not love does not know God because God 
is love. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we could have life through him. This is what real love is. It is not our love for God. It is God's love for us. He sent his son to die in our place. When we think about what it looks like to live out the love that God has called us to, all we're really doing is being like God. We are offering love and forgiveness and not holding on to the wrongs done to us. We're releasing people of those debts. We are letting go of that and saying, I'm not going to let this brokenness continue to define me and my relationships, but instead I'm going to offer healing and seek peace in the midst of this. God's love compelled God to forgive, and God's forgiveness should compel you to love and to forgive those who have wronged you and to seek forgiveness from those you've wronged.